This is a Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 494. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Today we have a special episode for you guys. It's actually an interview I did uh, recently with a special guest. Uh, He is a retired Navy SEAL and also quite the adventuresome guy. Uh, We'll bring him on here momentarily, but his name is Don Mann. He is the host of a brand new TV show that is being filmed next month that I am a part of, actually. I've been selected as a contestant for this show called Surviving Man, where 32 of us are going to assemble in the desert of Nevada and go through a bunch of physical and shooting and other challenges over the course of several days for a chance to be the top dog and compete against, directly against Don Mann, retired Navy SEAL, and also a guy that, as you're going to find out, has not just done that, but has done a lot of amazing uh, physically challenging and mentally challenging uh, uh, activities and events and competitions throughout his lifetime. Today's episode, sponsored and brought to you by the 2021 Guardian Conference. This is our special training conference we're holding in Oklahoma City in September, in fact, September 17th through the 19th. There are still tickets available, although it will fill up, it it looks like. So don't delay. Make sure you guys head on over to guardianconference.com, see our full lineup of instructors that will be there. And I hope to see you at the 2021 Guardian Conference. Today's episode also sponsored by American Stories Entertainment. The producers of this new show, Surviving Man, head on over to AmericanStoriesEntertainment.com. And if you're interested in being potentially considered for future castings, you can click on the link, be the star right there on that main page and uh, fill out the information. And you never know, you might be on a future show as well. In fact, they are casting already for season two, even though season one has not yet been filmed yet for Surviving Man, but they are casting already for season two. So anyway, I am privileged and honored to be a part of this production and also privileged to introduce to you now this interview that I did with Don Mann. Enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Riley here and I am so pleased to have with me for this special episode, Don Mann, a retired Navy SEAL, a member of SEAL Team 6, uh, you know, many people have heard at least that somewhere in the media over the years and some of the incredible things that the that the men of SEAL Team 6 have done. And I'm super excited to have you on the podcast with me today, Don, because I don't know whether you call it fate or what you will, but uh, our our worlds are will be colliding for sure in a very big way in a few weeks as part of a show that you are involved with and, and hosting called Surviving Man, which will play on words using your last name, which is pretty fun and really looking forward to it. So anyway, hello. It's a pleasure to have you, Don. Hey, Riley. Thanks for having me. And it's uh, really nice to meet you. And I look forward to the, 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 the events we have in store together coming up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the, I know it's going to be a challenge. 
And by that, I guess let me uh, mention real quick, and we'll talk some more about this in this episode today, but uh, this is a show called, again, Surviving Man that's going to be filmed in Nevada here in about five or six weeks or so, produced by a company called American Stories Entertainment, which I think is a uh, relative. Uh, it's at least a newer production company that I at least I hadn't heard of before. I think the name and the concept and everything that they're working on is really exciting. And this show is just one of several that are being worked on. And the idea is that I guess we're going to meet in the desert and do some very physical stuff, some physical uh, activity, and also shoot some guns. And it's going to be great. I know it's going to challenge me and push me. And I'll tell you, I have been working pretty heavily for the last several weeks. I've really ramped up my own personal training uh, above and beyond where it was previously because I want to make sure that I could be as ready as possible. (laughs) Excuse me. Well, Riley, you're doing the right thing for sure. You know, there is, it is intense shooting. There's pistol, there's shotgun, there's long gun, there's obstacle course, high ropes, there's navigation involved and there's um, running involved. And um, But what we didn't want to do when we created this, and we're working on it actually right before our call tonight, we're working on it. We didn't want to make it so the top, we're getting some top shooters in the country coming, but we didn't want to just give it to them and say, okay, if you're the top shot, you're going to get it. And we also didn't want to give it to the people who are really agile on the high ropes course. And we also didn't want to just give it to the fast runners or someone who's really good at navigation. So we have points. So if you're good at navigation, that's going to help you out. If you're really a poor shot, you still have a chance because of the navigation points you can make, which, of course, there'll be a navigation class for the people who haven't had navigation. That's just an example. And the same with the high ropes and and the other elements that I won't mention on the show right now. Mm-hmm. There's going to be about eight or nine different disciplines and evolutions throughout the, the course. And um, the top shooters will do great in the shooting elements, but not necessarily great in the other things. And um, and that's when we uh, produce adventure races and triathlons, a triathlon, for instance, we wouldn't make it so the top biker is going to win. We made it so the top biker would do well, but he had to also be a top runner or swimmer to do well. And the same with adventure racing, you know, if someone's really good at navigation or mountain biking or whitewater swimming or caving or something, we didn't want to give it to them. We had to make it equal across all the different elements involved in the race. And that's what we did with Surviving Man. That's awesome. There's some real steep competition as well. The 32 competitors that are going to be coming together and, and taking part in this. But we're going to come back to talking some more about the show Surviving Man in a little bit, but I do want to mention that uh, if, if folks are interested, uh, American Stories Entertainment is already in the process of casting season two. So you can go to AmericanStoriesEntertainment.com, click on the Be the Star link on the page there if you're interested in submitting an application for being uh, considered in season two. So, um, but Don, before we get too far along here, I would like to give you the opportunity, if you wouldn't mind, introducing yourself to my audience. Um, mentioned that you were a Navy SEAL, and, but you've done a lot of other really amazing and remarkable things in your life. Uh, folks can go to your website, U.S. Frogman. That is 
man spelled with two N's, usfrogman.com, and and read all about you. I mean, author of 22 books, uh, you've you've done a lot of just amazing physical feats. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and some of the things that you're most proud about uh, having accomplished in, in your long career? Okay, Riley. Well, thanks for, <clears throat> thanks for saying that. Um, well, I do like reaching beyond boundaries. I do like pushing the limits, and I always have. And I noticed, for me, it worked. And I've noticed since then, for thousands of other people I've talked to, it works if you set a goal that seems unreachable. And no matter what it is, might be an Ironman or a marathon or something, uh, you just set something that doesn't seem possible. I, I would call that a macro goal. And then you go, oh, my God, how am I ever going to reach that? But then take your time and and map out a series of micro goals to reach that. If it's, say, a marathon, 5K here, a 10K here, half marathon here, now a half marathon faster, not now a 20-mile run. And then, boom, knock out the marathon Bring that down to the micro goal level because now the next macro goal is either a marathon at a faster pace or it's two marathons in one day. Do the same thing. Work it out. When you get the two marathons in one day, bring it down. <laughs> and then what I did for the Ironman, I was one of the first Hawaii Ironmen in the country, in the world, actually. Mm. Um, I reached out and did the Hawaii Ironman. Once I did that, I realized, I said, wow, I can do an Ironman in less than 12 hours. What's the next triathlon goal? So I thought, and it wasn't a great thought, but I thought if I could do one in less than a day, I should be able to do two in a day. So I did two Ironmans in one day. And it just, some of the goals, the macro goals, I didn't reach, but most of them I did. And the ones I didn't reach, at least I worked my way up there and I got higher than I would have if I wasn't shooting for that next macro goal. And, and that worked with me with everything I've ever done in life, even writing as a writer. I was asked to write a small article for Navy Times. I was thinking, oh, my God, I did so poorly in high school English. I don't like writing. How am I going to write an article for the Navy Times? But I put that to macro goal. Once I achieved that, I brought it down. So maybe I'll do a series of articles. Maybe I'll do a book. And like you mentioned now, I'm on the 22nd book. Um, it just works for me. And it, it's simple. It's very simple. Anybody can do it. And I did it for climbing mountains. You know, this should go for a 12,000 footer, 14,000 footer. Last one was Mount Everest. It works for everything. Um, it works for everything I've ever done in my life. I have a macro goal and I have a vision and I don't let anything bother me. I don't let anything disrupt, disrupt me from going after that mission. Mm. And it's caused me some pains and injuries along the way. But um, that's so minuscule compared to what it's done for me in life as a living a full life and being able to experience these experiences, I would have never experienced because I would have thought it was too hard or too challenging. And now, now there's nothing. I mean, I got a call last summer saying, Hey, you want to do a paddle across Canada? I said, yep, but you do know old 60 and I got hurt on Everest and I'm having problems breathing right now, but yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and then that was the next macro goal to do a 750 mile paddle. And it worked. And just the, things like that, um, it was a simple solution for me to figure out a way to accomplish a lot in life. And I love sharing the message with people because um, I, I can say this. When I got out of the SEAL teams, I retired. I did 21 years in the Navy. When I retired out of the teams, I realized a lot of people set their goals low and they achieve them. And I think that's terrible. 
it was rare for me to see someone set their goals high. And I, I realize it's um, it's a terrible thing to set your goals low, achieve them, go home, and you're happy with yourself. Why not set them high? You might not achieve them all, but why not set them high? And I realized that getting out of the teams that a lot of people didn't set their goals very high. And I was around a lot of people who weren't really highly motivated or high achievers. And it's not to, to say you have to go burn yourself out every single day. You have to have your time and relaxation like I'm doing right now. I'm having a glass of red wine. I'm talking with you. It's nice and peaceful. I'm hearing birds in the background up here in the mountains. But then I don't lose sight of that macro goal. And I know what I have to do tomorrow. And I go to bed thinking about it. And I wake up all excited about what I'm going to do tomorrow. And um, to me, that made my life so much more worthwhile than if I hadn't found that in my life earlier on in, in my teens or whatever it was. Hmm. What a, I mean, it's a, it's kind of like a message that, you know, I've, I've heard before, right. In that when you have something you want to accomplish, you should identify waypoints, if you will, to get you there. Uh, but it's something that's harder to to actually do in in, in actual life for, for many people. Uh, wh- why do you think that is? Well, you're probably not going to like my answer on this. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I actually believe we're a very lazy country. Mm-hmm. And we have it made in this great country, which I, I know is the greatest country on the planet. But we have it easy. We just have it easy. Kids grow up. They could sit on the couch and play games all day long. They get fat. And they don't have to do anything. And um, so so the environment is kind of turning like that, in my opinion. And people don't really have to achieve things because they call for food. Food gets delivered. They want to see a movie or a show. Boom, it comes to their screen or their, whatever they're watching. They don't have to do much. They don't have to go shopping anymore. They could just send up for whatever they want. You don't have to. You know, I went through... Um, Gettysburg a couple of years a couple of weeks ago and I watched what just happened a couple hundred years ago less than a couple hundred years ago 1863 and I watched what 18 17 16 year olds were doing walking from North Carolina to Virginia and then fighting and and then there's a famous story a man gets shot in the leg he gets shot in the other leg finally gets shot in the chest with a cannonball and he said my only regret is I only had one life to live and you don't hear that anymore. You mm-hmm. hear, oh my God, this this TV show is blurry, or I'm not getting the right channel. I think we're becoming softer. I know we're becoming softer. Every generation after the next is becoming softer, and and I I, I I don't like that at all. That that's happened to people. I think not just probably the U.S., probably the whole world. That the the first nations, you know, the you know, not that maybe the third nation countries, but um, that's what I think is happening. Well, you're right. We are the greatest nation in the world, incredibly wealthy and prosperous, uh, which has been built on the backs of those that have gone before, that have worked and toiled and labored and fought and died. And, you know, and we're blessed because of that. And it, it, it is easy to get complacent, if you will, lazy, like you said. Uh, that is absolutely true. And I, I think, you know, we see that in our culture. We see that in, 
where society places its its focus and attention as far as you know what what the kardashians are doing is more important than what i'm doing to make my life better tomorrow you know or you know the issues going on with uh uh our our kids and and you know what they're learning and what they're growing up in and and becoming you know so um yeah there's a lot of truth in what you say there i like what you where you started you 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 started off by talking about making big goals and how you you kind of compared and you said well some people make goals and they're they're kind of low and it's relatively easy to achieve that goal those goals and i suspect that you know we can make those lower level goals and achieve those and that's that's great and all and we feel good about ourselves but even that is its own cycle of complacency wouldn't you say absolutely absolutely like the real tragedy for most people is not that they set the goals too high and don't reach them i believe they set the goals too low and they do reach them and they're happy with themselves no i just see it all the time um and maybe i'm I try to focus on that more and I look at people. It's rare for me nowadays to find people who don't think like that. Yeah. I know I know you think like that, and I know people we're gonna be surrounded with in, in Las Vegas think like that. And it's such a joy to be around people like that. But it, mainstream society, I'm not trying to sound like a pessimist. I just don't see it that much anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. You know, but even the even the fifteen minutes we've been talking so far has got me almost like I've been called to repentance a little bit because there's I'm I'm already recognizing some areas of my life that I can I recognize where I have already settled in my goals a little bit. Let me give you an example. Um, For a while now, I've been working towards making the. classification in USPSA shooting of Grandmaster. And I decided, okay, that's the goal I'm setting. I'm going to go for that. I I love competing. I love being pushed and I love being challenged. Secretly, I've in my heart kind of thought to myself, well, I should go beyond that. I should, you know, set a goal to to win a certain level of a match. And I guess what I'm saying is I've been setting the goal too low. I think right here, right with you right now, live on, on air, as we're recording this, I'm going to set the goal. I am setting the goal of becoming a national champion in USPSA shooting. Excellent. Excellent. That's fantastic. And, yeah, that's and a goal. What, whether I can reach that or not, that's irrelevant. Like, that's what I'm going to start working towards. Forget about Grandmaster. I'm going to go. I'm going to go all. I'm going to go big, or I'm going to go home. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, and then you know the series of micro goals you have to reach to get to that, and um, mm-hmm. and maybe by having that goal, I'm, I'm sure you can reach it. And if you just fall a little bit short, you can reset the micro goals, and maybe just by reaching that, having that goal, you might go a lot further than by not having that goal. Yeah. All right. Thank you for for the bit of inspiration there, brother. Oh, you just inspired me by your new goal. <laughs> <laughs> and now my audience is going to hold me accountable for it. Okay. I better get to work. Oh, boy. Um, but first, you know, I guess uh, one micro goal is is getting ready for this show. 
Uh, so let's, I guess, segue into that. I told you we'd come back and talk about that some more. So tell us about your vision for surviving man. Well, I have to say it really wasn't my idea. Um, the producer who's producing the show, it was all his idea. And about eight or nine years ago, he said, Don, you've been training people in adventure racing and triathlons and shooting and military skills all your life. We should come up with a TV show where you can train people and have a TV show about it. I didn't really think anything about it. Then he said, we can call it Surviving Man. And I said, That's, I don't know about that. And uh, But then two years ago, he started asking me, he said, I really think this is an idea that I want to follow through with. He made it all happen. Bob, as you know, he, he mm -hmm. made it all happen. So then it came to finding the right location. We found the right location at Front Sight outside Las Vegas, largest shooting facility in the country. And they've opened up the whole facility to us hundreds of acres. We have everything we want there. So for me, it was like a godsend that I had this incredible training area, all types of weapons and ranges and shooting houses and ropes courses and underground navigation uh, facilities and mountains. Uh, so I, I could really put together a program that I would have loved to have competed in if I were like you or somebody, you know, competing in the event and, um, and come up with something that's funded. And uh, a lot of times when you put on these events and they're not funded, you have to cut corners and things, but this here, we don't have to cut any corners and we can go all out. And that event is going to be very, very challenging. It's going to be fun for viewers to watch. Hmm. And it's, well, I was talking to a friend of mine today we had a, a Washington Redskins football player. We put him through one of these events similar to this, but much less than what we're going to be doing together. And he was on the pull-up bars, and we were pushing him really hard, me and a couple of other SEALs, and he started crying. And everyone says, you made a Washington Redskins football player cry. So all <laughs> we're doing is making him do things. <laughs> and uh, anyways, that's what's going to happen this time. We, we know there's going to be tears and crying and screaming and yelling and frustrations and people with their heads down and pouting and, and people very, very upset with themselves if they can't do something. But that's what we want to do. We really want to push everybody. And and now with this opportunity to put the show together, this program together, I don't really look at it as a TV show. I look at it as a training opportunity for people. And it is going to be a TV show. But I'm very excited that um, I'm given the chance to do this with Bob and to put on a program that's going to be super challenging and we'll get a very well-rounded individual who, who finishes these events yeah that's becoming uh pretty clear to me and as you touched on earlier about there's going to be you know a number of different ways that people will be challenged so you'll you will have to be well-rounded to uh to ultimately succeed um like i said I, i'm looking forward to the challenge I, my only hope is is that i don't get knocked out too early because i because that would mean i don't get to be pushed and challenged you know further on but uh now oh, say something right there right there if you don't mind sure. yeah Even people who've never done a lot of this stuff they don't have to come here with the knowledge of the abilities to do uh the experience of doing it before mm -hmm. because they're going to get the the time to practice and train on it and learn new skills and then it's really about just pushing themselves to the limit to mm -hmm. make it to the end. 
So yeah. even if people come in and they might not have a certain skill, even if someone's not a good shooter, they're going to have a, a chance to uh, come in the in the top in this thing because of all the other skills that they can push themselves really hard. And even if those skills are new to them, I believe if we do it right, is the person who comes in at the top is the one who pushes themselves the hardest, regardless of the skills they come in with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's one thing that uh, I, I think I'm pretty good at is I'm not afraid of pushing myself sometimes to the point of maybe too far and getting, you know, hurt or in pain or something. <laughs> I'll tell you, some of my workouts the last few weeks have uh, been causing me a great deal of pain. <laughs> good, good. Glad to hear that. It is good. You know, I, I've uh, I've gotten a little too soft in my mid- middle-agedness here as I've, uh, you know, I've had kids and my wife and we got five kids now. And, you know, you kind of get into this routine of day-to-day life with work and family and school and so on and so forth. And I've just, I've gotten too soft. It is time to, to get back to where I once was. So I, I appreciate the opportunity, at least if anything, it'll be a win to have uh, been really pushed and motivated to, you know, lose a few pounds and, and get back some of that muscle mass that I once had. <laughs> well, you still look in good shape, you know, um, I was telling you about that double Ironman, that one, that was just one of the races. That was only a day. We went on to doing 10, 12 day races, but this was just a full day. But I learned a really good lesson in that because um, a few years before that, to me, a marathon was a big deal. And then an Ironman was a big deal. And now there's two Ironmans and that's 4.8 miles of swimming, 224 miles on the bike, and then two marathons, 52.4 miles. I got out of the water thinking, not bad. So far, I'm doing okay. All I have now is a 224-mile bike ride before the run. So I did my 224 miles, and I was getting lightheaded and seeing the stars and all that. And then I got off my bike, and I did a marathon. And it was slow, but I finished the marathon. I said, all I have left is one marathon to go. And a few years before that, a marathon was a big, big deal. But because that was a new macro goal, now, just one marathon to go is, oh, boy, a couple more hours, and I'll be a few more hours, and I'll be done. <laughs> and, um, and I was at mile 32 and a half or so. I started feeling sick, and I started spitting up some green bile, and I saw the white stars, and I started getting woozy, and I passed out on the lawn. And uh, when I woke up, I saw the bikers going by and runners going by, and I didn't know why I was and my stomach was so sour and just so burning. And I had green bile down my mouth. And and I was wondering why I was sleeping outside. And I didn't realize I was in the middle of a double Ironman competition. So I got up and I finished the race and I got the medal around my neck and all that. But it, it dawned on me that all the times in life I thought something was too hard or too challenging. Or I feel bad for myself because it hurts so much. I was wrong because if you it really is too physically hard or too physically challenging your body will do you the favor and you'll pass out. And then you get the break you need, then you get up and finish. All the other times if I said, oh, I better take it easy, this is too much, too hard, I was wrong because if it was actually too hard, I would have passed out and got the rest I needed. And that was a really good lesson for me. And the, and the first lesson I had on that was as a teenager, and I wanted to be a motocross champion, or a motocross professional, and I was – 
I was running with a motocross professional and he was, he was my idol. I wanted to be a, a pro like Dave was. And he said, Don, if you want to go pro, we're teenagers. You better start running. And I never ran. I never ran in high school. I never ran ever. I said, well, Dave, I'll run. We're both, we looked about the same, same age, same height, same weight. I said, I'll run with you. He said, well, I run 10 miles. I do it three times a week. I had no clue what 10 mile run would be like. I said, I'll do it with you, Dave. So he had a, a, a circuit mapped out in his neighborhood in North Haven, Connecticut. We ran one mile together. And it was hard. And then we ran the second mile together, and it was much harder. And the third mile, I quit. I said, this is too hard for me. And I watched him run all the other miles, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And it dawned on me, he wasn't talking. He was gasping for air. His face was red. He's breathing really, really hard. It is one of the greatest lessons I ever had in my life because he was so fed up with me. He said, Don, you'll never be a pro unless you can push yourself. Really, mm -hmm. it was pathetic. You quit at mile three. You're not going to go anywhere in the sport. He said, you better start running. And he's the one who made me a runner. I said, what do you mean running? He said, yeah, run some races. Get motivated by running races. I didn't even know they had running races. He said, yeah, they have them. I said, when's the next one? He says, it's, it's in about eight weeks. It's called Boston Marathon. And I asked him how long it was. He said, 26.2 miles. I said, Dave, people don't run 26.2 miles. But that was my first goal I set, to do the Boston Marathon without stopping 26.2 miles as a non-runner. And it worked. So then I was thinking, 3.44, that's not a very good time. Maybe I'll do another one next month. So I did that for 36 months, did over 30 marathons learning to be a runner and became a good runner just by setting those macro goals. Okay. The next marathon, I got to knock off 10 miles. The next marathon will be a 50 miler or a double marathon. And, and when it, when Dave taught me that lesson and humiliated me like he did, and I'm glad he did, it was one of the greatest lessons I ever had in my life. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you, as you mentioned, you've completed many marathons, triathlons, other, uh, ultra marathon or ultra adventure type races. Have you ever thought about participating in the Barkley marathons? Oh, Barkley. I know the Barkley marathon. Actually, I put on a race out there called the beast of the East Barkley marathon. Oh. I have a friend who actually finished that. Not many people have finished just a handful of people have finished Right, a hundred mile run. The fun run 62 miles. <laughs> the race director comes out, lights a cigarette, exhales and, when he blows the smoke in the air, that's the start of the race. It's, uh, I think it's an adventure races run. I've never run it. I, I, when we did the Beast of the East out there, an adventure race, a five-day adventure race, we did it on that course. Mm. But the probably 100-mile marathon is considered the toughest race in the world, And but I've never run it. <laughs> I figured yeah. I, I had to ask. I, I remember watching a documentary about that a few years back and it was really fascinating the the kind of the culture and the the history about it all and and uh just a really i've been always fascinated about that race ever since <laughs> my very good friend uh george wortley was the doctor for that marathon for many many years and uh and the application's funny you have to send in a license plate and a tie and they said we don't accept navy seals because we don't like pulling them off the course when they're whining and crying and we don't like marines <laughs> Because they, they put up a big battle when we pull them off the field because they can't finish. He he, he makes fun of everybody. <laughs> right. People come from around the world to try to beat that course. And you're just trying to get a book, a page from a book on these mountaintops. 
but there's five mountaintops and you run through the mountain valleys and, and the mountain ridges three times one direction then you spin around and do two times the other and people don't make the time limits is, is why it's so hard yeah <laughs> yeah the next two days that a lot of more people would make it but it's hard that's one of the toughest runs in the country for sure yeah yeah so kind of uh, uh shifting gears again a little bit here and, and now sort of turning more towards the tactical environment if you will i mean you've obviously you're obviously very experienced in that world as well having spent as you mentioned over 20 years in the u.s navy and, and as a navy seal um you know a lot of our audience obviously is very focused on the idea of concealed carry and personal defense and i know that what's on the in the backs of many of our listeners minds is how am i going to perform how am i going to do in the event that my worst day in my life occurs meaning that you know you find yourself in a situation that your life is now in jeopardy uh, there's justified cause to perhaps use deadly force in response to that to defend your life or the life of, of a loved one and you know it's one of those things where unless you've well, spent a career doing some of the things like what you did or uh, a few other choice careers out there that you that might gain you the kind of experience that might be relevant as far as having to fight people that want to hurt and kill you. What, do you. what would you say to those listening or viewing the podcast today about preparing themselves the best way that they can to handle the pressure, the stress, and be able to respond appropriately, um, maximizing their performance in a situation like that. Well, David Grossman, who's a friend of mine, and I'm sure, I know you know this, but maybe some people in the audience haven't heard this, but David Grossman spells it out so nicely. He said, our society is made up of sheep, wolves, and sheepdogs. Most people are sheep, and they like taking care of themselves. They like taking care of their families. They go to work, they come home, they eat, they don't bother people. And then there is the wolf. The wolf is a terrorist. It's the ISIS. It's the bad guy. It's a criminal, the gangster. And the wolf is preying on the sheep. And there's wolves everywhere. And for people who deny that there's a wolf out there, they're in fantasy land because they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And then there's a sheepdog. And those who carry concealed, those who carry concealed, those in law enforcement, those in the military are the sheepdog. Those are examples of people of the sheepdog. The sheepdog goes out and protects the sheep. So to do that, you have to look like a sheep. And you can't be this guy banging his chest thinking, I want to go kill the bad guy. You've got to be as confident and competent and armed and know when the bad guy appears that you've got the ability and the training to neutralize that bad guy. And and the way that happens in the military and law enforcement, which I know you're so well aware of, is training. And just training on the range and shooting, trying to get that bullseye target, that's not really training the mind to neutralize the bad guy. That's training you to be a good shot, which is great to be a good shot. Get the weapons fundamentals and everything down. But <clears throat> the targets have to be a little more realistic. Get the funny face targets. Get the targets that move. 
have scenarios where there's a hostage and a terrorist maybe. And then the visualization I think does the most because a lot of civilians can't be on a range where they're training with realistic targets or a shoot house or a kill house, like we used to call it. They have to visualize and you have to visualize what happens if someone comes in that front door. Where's my weapon? Where's my cover and concealment? And where am I going to shoot? If someone comes through that door, is that person a threat? Look at the hands. You have to visualize uh, going into a restaurant. Of course, everybody knows you put your back to the door and you're looking at doors. And when people walk in, kind of sum them up, look at them. And if someone wacky comes in, you think, okay, Cooper's color codes, you might shift from yellow to orange. Okay, this could be a potential problem here. When you go into the red, because maybe he pulls out a gun or the store's being robbed or it's a 7-Eleven, you already have your exit picked out. Maybe you can flee. Maybe you don't have to be in the fight. But if someone comes up to you and he surprises you, that's going right into the black. You're, you were in the white, they're in the white zone, you're unaware, and now you're surprised by the threat. That's from lack of visualization, lack of not preparing for what could possibly happen with the people around you. And I think visualization is uh, probably the best way a lot of people can train because you can visualize every day and make your mind stronger. I was in laying in bed one night about 1230, one o'clock in the morning, and I was reading and I had my loaded 45 under the bed and I heard someone coming to the door. I said, oh my God, there's someone at the door. They're trying to break in. Now, I probably shouldn't say this, but I was so happy because I was going to catch this guy. I grabbed my 45 and it ran down my hallway. And then I had a low crawl in my living room. I'm thinking, I'm going to get this guy. This is going to be good. I'm going to have him bang his head on the sidewalk until he's done. And I was all excited about this. <laughs> I ran around and he took off down the road. And I was so upset that I missed him. I tried to get his license plate and he was gone. And I was really, really upset because I would have had this wolf. I would have had the bad guy. And a buddy of mine in SEAL team came up to me. He said, Don, I'm really sorry. I hope I didn't wake you up last night, but I had a few too many last night. And I tried to come home and I went to your house by mistake. I was trying to get my key in your door. I hope I didn't wake you up. <laughs> I said, Dave, I have some plans for you, my friend. But I had <laughs> it in my mind what I was going to do. I had it all visualized. I wasn't going to be in going to the black or be shocked at what, what was going to happen. And, and, um, and I tell my daughter... I tell friends, I, I, I teach shooting seminars, different places. People who don't know how to shoot, I, I, I recommend to them, just get a wasp, get a can of wasp spray, you know, and, and know where the door is and stay behind cover. And if the bad guy comes in, that goes right in their eyes and stop them there. But it's better to learn to shoot, learn to shoot. But if you don't know how to shoot, the first step is learn to shoot, learn the basic fundamentals. And then start with the visualization. Okay, what if this happens? And not to be very paranoid and afraid of life, still enjoy life, but there's just one more element to it. Now I'm aware of my surroundings. I could sum up what's going on with these people coming in and out of the door. And because, and just know that the wolf's out there. It's just life. The wolf is out there. And it's up to us to prepare ourselves and our families and loved ones from that wolf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So, I'm a real big believer in the concept you touched on about visualization. Um, it's something that 
I have found great power in, you know, as I'm getting ready to shoot a USPSA stage, I am visualizing before I do that exactly all the different positions I've got to get to, uh, where the targets are, uh, how many times I got to shoot those targets, uh, any other, you know, things along the way that I got to do, uh, a reload, for instance, I'm, I'm programming that all into the mind ahead of time so that I, it's almost like I've already done it 10, 20, 30 times before I actually have to do it. And that helps it go so much more smoothly. Is this something that you've also uh, experienced yourself in, in like you, you had opportunities to get through or to go through very uh, advanced training stuff that most civilians are not able to do uh, to get experience and shoot houses, uh, CQB type environments, et cetera, et cetera. Is, is this something even back in the day that, that it was something you realized or that you employed as a, as a tool? Um, actually I would have to say no uh, initially. Mm-hmm. Just, I have to say, times are different now, but when I first, uh, I was with the Marines before I came in the SEAL teams. Mm. When I was first a SEAL, um, I have to say this. We didn't talk about killing people. We talked about being good shots because there wasn't a war going on. Mm. And um, we didn't talk about killing people. Now, now when people ask me, and I get calls all the time from young guys who want to be SEALs, and I have to talk to them. Directly, I said, yeah, you're going to learn shooting. You're going to learn skydiving and diving and all that stuff. You're going to learn land navigation. But keep in mind, you have to keep in mind, it's not just to get that big medal on your chest. It's not to walk around and say you're a SEAL. The reason the military is spending all this money on you is because you have to kill people. You're trained to kill people, bad people, people who take lives from us, people who take our, our fellow soldiers and military people's lives away. You're trained to kill them. So it's not just fun and games and get to exercise and parachute and dive all day long. That is that is a lot of it. But the reason the military is spending so much money on you more than anybody is because you're a trained killer and you have to be able to kill. The reason you're shooting all those targets and the reason you're doing all those exercises is to train to kill people. And sometimes young people, uh, they don't have that in my, their mind. They want to be a SEAL. But there's one reason to be a SEAL is to defend our country and, and killing off the bad guys. Yeah. Now kind of coming back around to where you shared some of your experiences running marathons and, and triathlons and double triathlons in a day, which is just, I mean, for me, just to even fathom a triathlon for me personally, just is a really, really big deal. And I, it's, it's hard to fathom doing two in a day, <laughs> but, uh, I'm I'm kind of curious about I mean those types of events take quite a bit of mental fortitude and discipline right what what kinds of things I mean like what's going through your mind when you are in the throes of a of a triathlon uh is there anything that you're visualizing for instance is there you know any other I guess uh areas where you can kind of extend this uh thought process to well, talking about racing, which is, you know, it's canned adventure. You know, you're on a course and you know there's an ambulance nearby and you're just trying to beat the guy ahead of you. Um, I started referring to it as canned adventure because when you go out to the big mountains, none of that's in place. You're on your own. 
So the triathlons and marathons and all the double marathons and all those things, you've got, uh, if, if something bad happens to you medically, you're going to be taken care of. Um, so really all I was concerned about then was looking at the person in front of me and knowing I had to pass that person. If someone's coming up on my side, given everything I have little by little to try to beat them thinking, ah, I'll never pass this guy. And I just took play little mind games throughout, mm-hmm. throughout the whole race. And, um, I always have it in mind to give everything. I, you know, the, the first Ironman I did, I was, uh, I was, I was really scared to be out of the, out of my home. I was, I was, I was just, um, just getting into the sport. Only 15 people in the world had done one. And so I didn't know anybody who had done an Ironman. And there's a big difference between an Ironman and just a triathlon. An Ironman's a full distance, you know? Right. And I went to the airport in Oahu and I'm thinking, my God, I'm in Hawaii doing the world's biggest race. I was scared to death. And, um, I had a little motorbicon bicycle, $109 bicycle. I took it out of the cardboard box and I was walking through the airport and I was thinking, I'm scared. I can't believe I'm here doing the world's toughest race. And at that time, that's what the Ironman was considered. Mm. I walked by this really tanned, muscular triathlete from San Diego or Hawaii or something. He had a beautiful racing bike next to him. And he looked at me like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and as a little pasty white kid walking my bicycle by him and he, he looked at me like, I felt like I wanted to go home. The look he gave me <laughs> And the next day we had to sign up and, um, and I was afraid to look to my left because the waves were coming over the seawall and they were hitting the pavement we're on. And we had to do the two and a half mile swim in that water. And that guy, the blonde haired guy was in front of me with his loud mouth friends talking about all the big races they've done and how they hope the, the uh, waves get much, much bigger and then they looked back at me and I had my motorbicon bicycle and the guys, the blonde haired guy said to me, he said, what's that? I said, it's a motorbicon. And I didn't know anybody with a bicycle better than a $112 bicycle at the time. <laughs> he said, really? And they all started laughing. He said, what it cost? And I told them, he said, do you know my pedals cost much more than your bicycle does? Are you going to do this race tomorrow? And I really felt like that big. Wow. I wanted to go wow. home. He ruined me almost. I, I felt like I wanted to go home and I looked at the water and I was thinking, my God, I, I swam in the pool to get ready for this race, but I never swam in the ocean. Something that looks like that 2.4 miles. And I, he, he had me defeated. And I, and last thing he said to me, he looked at me and said, so that's a motorbicon. And he laughed. And um, his friends finally said, leave the kid alone. And I was just standing there. My knees were shaking. I was scared to death. And that night I kept thinking, so that's a motorbicon, huh? That's a motorbicon, huh? It just echoed through my head. The next morning, there are 535 people in the race this day. And um, I just want to finish the swim. I was just hoping to get out of those waves in one piece. And I managed to get out about halfway. I was 275th when I got out. But that day, something really big happened in my mind. Something clicked on and it never clicked off. And that was a long time ago. And it clicked on. And it said, you have to pass everybody in front of you in this race, the world's hardest race. You have 274 people to pass. And I pushed and pushed and pushed past 25 people, past 50 people. And that guy who said to me, hey, that's a motorbicon. And he laughed. I started catching up on him. I said, mm-hmm. wow, I catch this guy. And he had a beautiful Bianchi racing bike. 
And I passed him. I said, so that's a Bianchi, huh? And I, I beat him by over an hour. And he was really, really kind to me after the race. But then now I'm in like in 100th place and uh, now 75th place. And I was determined to win the Ironman. And I saw a helicopter following a cyclist in front of me. And the person he was following was my hero, Gordon Haller, the first Ironman champion. And Gordon Haller won the Ironman in 1144, 11 hours and 44 minutes. And I couldn't believe I was catching up to him. And now I'm in like 50th place or something. And I knew I had 49 more people to pass. I was coming up to Gordon Haller, and I felt almost scared to pass my champion, Idol. I said, have a great race, champ. And I went on, and I passed him. I, I couldn't believe it. And then I started the marathon. I said, okay, nobody passed me yet. I was passing everybody, and now I'm in like 40th place. I had 39 more people to pass in this race. It's halfway point. Now I'm 37th or so. And the crowd started cheering, watch out, the champ's going to get you. He's a runner. And I looked over to my right, and Gordon Haller was getting ready to try to pass me. And he and I did uh, those last two miles as fast as I could run. The world was going like this. I couldn't run any faster. And he just beat me at the end. He beat me. He's the only guy who beat me in the race. And he beat me besides the people who I couldn't pass. And we both ran into the water. We're like waist deep in the water. And he came up and he hugged me. He said, thanks so much for pushing me. I said, you pushed me all year long. You've been my hero for years. And he thanked me for pushing him. And it wasn't because I had any skills he didn't have. It wasn't because I was more experienced. I was much, much less experienced. It's because I think when that switch turned on, that switch turned on my ability to push myself as hard as physically possibly I possibly could push myself into the point right before collapse. And then and I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, like I'm a insane individual or anything, but I had a motto that led from any orifice. If I push myself hard enough, I'd bleed somewhere. If I push myself hard enough, I'd hallucinate or pass out. And now I don't think that way. And, and now I don't try to teach people to think that way. I used to, unfortunately. But now I believe we all have a line of doing too much. And I always believed if I don't go over that line and pass out, hallucinate, bleed, I wasn't giving it my all. And I don't believe that anymore. Now I believe you come up, touch the line, and back off. And that way you're not injuring yourself, you're not ruining relationships. Even if you're a piano player, if you practice 18 hours a day, family's going to start breaking apart. Other things will start failing. But just imagine where that line is. If you go over the line, something bad's going to happen. So why not just touch the line and back off? And that's how I've been thinking. You know, unfortunately, I thought the other way for a good 20-plus years and did some damage. Um but now I don't think that way. Now I push right to the limit. I think of doing too much, and I back off. And I, I and I'm still able to achieve things that I want to achieve that way without hurting myself. Hmm. Wow, I think there's a lot of lessons that folks can pull from uh, everything you just said, uh, including over the last 45 minutes or so, um, that uh, can be applied a lot of different ways, uh, even if it's not apparent immediately to you, I'd encourage everyone listening to think about those things in your life, whether it's work-related, school-related, physical fitness, shooting, uh, whatever it is, I'd encourage you to think about all of this and, and find ways to to apply it and use it. I mean, 
the last example you just gave, uh, Don, is uh, uh, definitely resonates with me. Um, that uh, y- you know, it, it, there's kind of a, a a piece of advice I give shooters as they're trying to figure out kind of how to level up in their shooting skill. Uh, I tell them, you know, it's like when you go to a match, for instance, y- you can give a hundred percent. And, and you can do that on every stage, but somewhere you're going to end up crossing, you know, lines that you sh- that shouldn't be crossed. And you're going to make mistakes. Um, ideally we, we want to be kind of like riding right there, occasionally hitting that hundred percent, but optimally we're performing at 95%, 90%, you know, kind of right in there, making that, making those little pushes. And that that's where a lot of that um, that's where that consistency and performance is going to come from, but also long-term growth is going to come from that. Um, yeah. Cause you, you know, conversely, if we go too far and push ourselves beyond what we're capable of, uh, sometimes there's negative consequences or results that come from that. I mean, like for instance, uh, you know, doing things correctly with proper form and technique, as opposed to, you know, just doing things, uh, for, for, quantity sake right like quality not quantity right practice perfect practice yeah yep yep awesome um well it's it's been a wonderful time having you on the show with me this evening don and it's unfortunately time to to wrap it up here and i want to be respectful of your time as well and let you get back to other important things in your life Uh, if you were to leave parting words with our audience here uh, what, what would you offer uh, what, maybe what I could say is when I, when I get these calls from people, from people who want to do something really, really tough in their life, usually they're younger people, um, sometimes, you know, older too, but I'd say as an example, you want to be a seal. Okay. Now I figured out how to say this easily every day, wake up and do something to make yourself stronger. You figure out what that is. Maybe it's a thousand pushups. Maybe it's a hundred pull-ups. You figure out what it is. Don't expect someone to give you a workout plan on a platter. You figure it out. Go to CrossFit. Go to Orange City. Do something to make yourself stronger, number one. Number two, every day do something to make yourself faster. Maybe that's sprints. Maybe that's fartleks. Maybe that's sprints in the pool. Maybe that's doing 100 sit-ups faster than you did it the week before. But every day do something to make yourself faster. And then whatever it is you're going after, if it is SEAL Team as an example, learn about special warfare. Learn about what SEALs have been doing since Vietnam and World War II. Learn about their weapons. Take shooting courses. Learn to shoot. Learn to skydive. Learn to dive. Get really smart about being a SEAL. And most importantly, every day do something good for somebody because if you're helping your mother or you're helping your girlfriend or you're helping your sister or your neighbor, every day you're going to become a really good teammate. And if you start this at age 12 or 13 or 14 when you come to selection you might be the strongest fastest smartest person there and most importantly the best teammate anybody would want and and to me that's i wish i heard that when i was younger but i Mm -hmm. think that's how what the advice i like to give people now because you can do that at any age you could start at any age that's wonderful advice do something every day to make yourself what was it stronger faster smarter and do something good for somebody. Yeah. Wonderful advice. If, if anybody, if everybody would just do that, uh, our world would be a much better place, wouldn't it? 
would all be a lot thinner. <laughs> That's true too. That's true. Well, Don, it has been an absolute pleasure, sir. Uh, one more time, I want to make sure we recognize you uh, as far as uh, go to US Frogman, usfrogman.com to learn more about Don Man. Go to AmericanStoriesEntertainment.com to learn more about uh, what they're up to and also about the production of the show Surviving Man that Don is a host of and uh, that we're, we're going to be filming. I'll be there uh, partaking in this here in uh, be about the second week of May. So, Don, I, it's, like I said, been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate your time and wish you the best of success in all your future endeavors. And I look forward to seeing you in a few weeks, buddy. Thank you, Riley. And uh, thanks for all you're doing for the gun community. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me on your show. Awesome. Thank you. And with that, folks, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>